I have to make a request of you before we start. I need everybody to take out something to write with, pen or pencil, whatever you got, and something to write on. Your bulletin will probably work well for this. You're going to number from one to seven here in a few minutes. You're going to write one word by each of those numbers, and then you're going to put a little mark beside it. So you're not going to need a whole lot of space, but sometimes it kind of comes in handy for us to be able to have this, and we'll talk about why in just a moment. I'll let you get settled. I should have, asked, should have told you earlier, didn't know you was going to be going to school today, but you had to. Now... So, one of the things that it's sometimes helpful for us to do is to maybe self-assess. And so here's what I'm going to ask of you to do. You've got your paper and you've got something to write with, but I don't want you to look at the person beside you's paper. Because you, I'm just guessing are about like the kids that I teach every day in school. If they write one answer, the person beside them writes another, they think, oh, I better write that one. They're not sure they're right. Okay? And so we don't always get the proper answer. So keep your answers to yourself right here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, we find Paul exhorting Timothy, what Jameson read there, to exercise yourself toward God. Some other versions use the word train rather than exercise, but it works the same one way or the other. Every doctor that you go to will tell you that training and exercise are beneficial for good health. That's one of the things that they'll tell you. How much do you exercise a, a day or a week? Well, I have figured out that there is no right answer to that question. Because if you said, I do it from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to sleep, the doctor probably tell you you're sleeping too long. Get up and do a little bit more, right? But we can all benefit from a little exercise or training. It's not just doctors that will tell you that, of course. But coaches would tell you the same thing. Your physical therapist, if you've had some kind of injury, would tell you the same thing. And we all understand that they are correct. Our problem is with our own discipline. When I say that, I am fully aware of the necessity of exercise and training. I am not fully disciplined to do the exercise and the training. Because I can come up with a million things that I would rather do besides the exercise and training. And then I'll do them. So I don't have to do the other things. So we can do this. We can come up with these sort of solutions on our own. But today, this is for you, Josh. Today, we're going to begin a series talking about spiritual discipline. We're going to do one a month. But I'm going to introduce you to all of them today. And what we're going to do is we are going to grade ourselves on our spiritual discipline. And then as we get to each of these specifically month by month, 
My hope is that you'll remember what this paper says and that whenever it actually comes around, we will have improved on these spiritual disciplines. Think of it as a report card that maybe at the start of the year has a poor grade, but by the end of the year has a much better grade. But you are only responsible for your own. Okay? All right. So, let's start with a quote. A spiritual discipline is, when practiced faithfully and regularly, a habit or regular pattern in your life that repeatedly brings you back to God and opens you up to what God is saying to you. Well, think about this for just a second. We'll see what these examples of spiritual disciplines are here in just a second. But a spiritual discipline, whatever these seven that we're going to list here in just a second, when practiced faithfully and regularly, okay? So we, we can't do this once in a blue moon and expect, but we have to practice it regularly. It becomes a habit or a regular pattern in your life. Think about the habits that we have in our life. Some good habits. Some might be bad habits, right? But these spiritual disciplines would be habits or a regular pattern, and they repeatedly bring you back to God. Okay? So repeatedly. Doesn't just do it once, but it repeatedly does it more and more all the time. Brings us back to God and opens you up to what God is saying to you. In a nutshell... Spiritual disciplines are exercises that we engage in habitually to bring us closer to God. Let's talk about the seven here to start with. Here's what I'm going to ask you to write down. I said for you to number from one to seven. Number one, prayer. All you got to write is prayer. You don't have to write all this other stuff. That's just some stuff that you'll see. But number one is prayer. Here's how we're going to grade ourselves. We are going to grade ourselves with one of three grades. You're either going to put a plus beside it if you feel like you're doing well with that. You're going to put a minus beside it if you feel like you are doing poorly at that. And I want you to put a question mark beside it if you just don't know how you're doing it or not. So number one, prayer. Prayer is which... We spend time talking with God. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses this morning. You're welcome to turn to them, but you've got your hands full right now. So just listen here as we go. To start with, Old Testament, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. You probably remember this story. But in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So when we see this story of Daniel, Daniel takes time. It's not just this one story, but it says that he and it had been his custom since he was young three times that he goes and he sort of goes into this, what we would call almost like a closet, a hidden space, a place to remove himself from the distractions that he came in contact with. And he was going to go there and pray. 
Now this to me says that Daniel felt like prayer was an important part of his life. We don't really get a whole lot of instructions, excuse me, we don't get a whole lot of requirements in the Bible about how we are supposed to pray. There's no rule like there is, for instance, in Islam that says you have to pray five times a day at certain points on the clock. There's no rule that says you have to be in an empty room or a crowded room. You have to be in the dark or in the light when you pray. We don't really see that in Christianity. But we see repeatedly in the New Testament that people pray, right? We see in in the Old Testament that people pray as well. Daniel took the time daily to pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, we read, to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Do you know what the word earnest means? If you are earnestly pursuing something, you are sort of giving back everything. You're not putting it third or fourth or fifth, but you're putting it first. It says to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, but being thankful, praying with thanksgiving as well. When we pray, it should be a repeated thing. It should not be something, well, I did it a couple of days ago. That should be fine. So I want you to think about praying and give yourself an honest grade. Plus, minus, or question. Discipline number two. Meditation. Meditation is when we contemplate on God's Word or other things worthy of such attention. I don't know that I can speak honestly about this without coming across as a back when in the old days it was better kind of thing, but I feel that meditation has been a victim of technology. The ability to meditate, the ability to sort of slow our minds, to consider things that need to be considered, it's difficult when there are so many distractions, often in our hand or often in front of us, that keep us from being able to meditate. We read about meditation in both the Old and the New Testament. I think all of these disciplines show up in both except for one. But meditation, let's go to Psalm, the first Psalm, and the first two verses. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, And in his law, he meditates day and night. You've probably heard that before. But think about that. In the law, in the Old Testament, the old law, that law was the most important thing to those folks. And it says here in Psalms, blessed is a person who delights in that, who studies in it, who's thinking only about that. They're not being distracted by any and other things, but they're focused on that. How many times in the New Testament do we read Jesus, but Jesus makes references to things in the old law? You don't just absentmindedly refer to those kinds of things. You have to have known and studied those things to be able to refer back to them. As a person, as a spiritual discipline, meditation requires not just the reading of it, 
But the studying of it, the thinking of it, the dwelling on it, what are the things that I can take from this? In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, I'm sure a verse that you'll all be familiar with, Paul wrote, he said, Finally, brethren, he said, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, to meditate on these things. So he's not saying to meditate on the law here, but he said, let's spend our time thinking about the good things, right? How much time do we spend thinking about bad things? I don't mean that necessarily as like sin. I just mean how many times do we, how much time do we spend fretting and worrying about things as they happen? Mary uses the term, I don't know where she got it from. She always says you're borrowing trouble. It works, right? You worry about all these kind of things. We fret and we're concerned and then they don't even develop. But it says, Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, you know what? He said, let's meditate on the good things. Let's spend our time not being distracted by my phone, which has all sorts of bad news on it, but instead, let's think about good things. Okay? And you said, well, I can't find any good things. Well, first of all, we're probably not looking if that's the case. But second, maybe we're looking in places we don't need to be looking. Let's meditate. Let's think a little bit. Go a little bit of time thinking and not being distracted. Give yourself a plus, a minus, or a question mark about your meditation. <clears throat> Number three. Fast. Fast. It's usually accompanied with prayer. And it typically has one abstaining from food. It can be other things as well. We tend to associate fasting with abstaining from food, although that wasn't always the case. Uh, even in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 says, So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God in heaven. What Nehemiah is writing here is that when challenges and difficulties face him, he sits down, he weeps, he mourns, he was fasting. He was getting rid of the things that were like, Excited for because he was struggling with whatever it is that he's going through at that time. We tend to eat well when things are going well, right? But for most of us, we tend to eat pretty good when things are going bad too, right? But what does fasting do for us? Well, fasting takes aside those things that maybe we don't really need to worry about as much. And let us focus more on the things that we need to consider. The things that we're struggling with. I've said this in this pulpit before. But when one is eating, when you finish, you've ever one said, I'm so full, I'll never want to eat again. And three hours later, we eat again, right? So fasting requires us to sort of put aside those things that we really like and focus on something else. Go to the New Testament version of it. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. It said, let's talk about the church. It said, when they had appointed elders in every church, it said they prayed with fasting. 
They commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. They had appointed these elders at the church. This is the whole book of Acts is about the church starting and beginning and getting going. And they've appointed these elders in the church. And this is a really big thing because what you see is the apostles are in many cases sort of leaving. And it's almost like you're dropping your kid off at college, right? And you're hoping that everything you have taught them, they'll be able to handle. It said when they had appointed these elders, they fasted, right? Distractions are being removed because this was important. Because what if these elders don't do the job? What if the church doesn't take? We tend to think about Christianity now. 40% of the world is some form of Christianity. We're on the backside of the growth of Christianity. It's been around for 2,000 years. But at the first day, was there any guarantee that that was going to succeed? It was going to take a lot of work, right? So they fasted. They said, we're not going to worry about these other things. We're going to focus on growing the church. Ben's taught classes and given sermons about fasting several times. How would we rate our fasting? Plus? Minus? Question mark. Number four, singing. <clears throat> this allows us to praise God and to, to be edified, to be built up. You know the song in the Bible, in the songbook, Sing and Be Happy? Is there any song in the songbook called Sing and Be Sad? Sing and Tear Down? Sing and Disappoint? Is there any song like that? No. Sing and Be Happy, right? Psalm chapter 71, verse 23, my lips shall greatly rejoice, but it says, when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. Think about that for a second. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. I want to look at that word to, T-O, right there. Not when I sing for you. Not when I hear others sing to you. But when I sing to you. Psalm, the lessons that Mike was teaching, Mike Grimes taught a while back, was all about singing, about praise, about a way to, uh, to, to build each other up. That's what singing does. We see it in the New Testament as well. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Paul and Silas, you remember the story, right? They are in prison. And at midnight, what are they doing? So at midnight, Acts 16 and verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. But the second part of that verse says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Singing is a vital part of our worship. Amen. But singing is not meant to impress the person beside you. Because if it was, probably none of us would say. Because we can all find fault in our singing abilities. But it doesn't say anything about that. Psalm 71 says, I'm going to sing to you. The you in my Bible, Y-O-U, was capitalized. It was singing to God. When I come in here, I am singing to God. There are other Christians around the world that are singing much better than I did this morning. I guarantee you. They've got better voices. They've got deeper voices. They've got stronger voices. No mention in the Bible of better 
deeper, stronger voices. We sing to God. We sing praise. But as Paul and Silas said, we can sing even during the most difficult times as well. How would you rate your singing? Plus? Minus? Question mark. I'm not asking how you would rate your ability. Number five. Give. This allows us to please God to be blessed. Dad talked a bit about this around the table there just a few moments ago. I've only got a New Testament verse here. I didn't pull one from the Old Testament for this. But in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 it says, But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. What is the first lesson, one of the first lessons that we teach to little kids when they are this big? We tell them to share, right? How many of you remember getting in a fight with your brother or sister when you were that little because you wanted to play with the toy and they didn't want you to play with it, right? Mom and dad come in there and said, you got to share, okay? You have to share. We teach that to the littlest kids even when they can't even understand. We say things like share. It seems like adults totally flip it. It becomes from sharing as a small child to as an adult, I want everything that I can get. I want all of this for me. I have worked hard for this. I want all of this. They want some of They work too. They can go out and do it. Well, when we think about giving, the church required to give. The Christian is required to give. This was established with the church as a way to, one, to fund the church, and also, two, to grow the church. If we're not careful, we look and say, I've worked hard for this. Why can't those people in India? Why can't those people in Guyana? Why can't those people in Korea? Why can't those people down the street? Why can't they work hard and make their own church? the wrong attitude to have. We're told to go ye into all the world preaching and teaching the gospel. And there are places that have never heard that before. I can set on a couple of extra bucks in my wallet, but it might be the difference in somebody hearing the word of God. It might be the difference in somebody being in heaven. They might be there and you may not. We are responsible Forgive. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you the amount of money, New Testament, that you're supposed to give. In mom's class back here at the, this morning, Max and Eliana, they were doing a lesson about Ananias and Sapphira. And you remember the story, right? Where they sold the plot of land and they gave part of that money to it, but they kind of acted like it was all of it. They got in trouble for that, right? I think Ananias was struck dead, the story says. And then Sapphira comes in, the same thing happens right there. And our responsibility is to give. Mom said to wrap up, she said they didn't have to, none of that had to happen. They could have said, I have sold this land for a million dollars and I'm going to give you ten dollars. And that's ten dollars more than the organization would have had. But they lied about it. Our responsibility is to give, as givers is to give from our heart. 
to give to help the church grow. How do you rate your giving? I'm not asking to see the bank statement. But how do you rate the giving from the heart? Plus? Minus? Question. A seven. Where we can exhort one another. You know verse chapter of Psalm 122 and verse 1. Everyone knows this. It said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Right? You've all heard that, read that many, many times. That's the attitude that we should have. That it's church time. That it's worship time. That it's Sunday. That it's Wednesday. Whatever day it is. It's Thursday or Tuesday of a gospel. Whatever it might be. We should be glad to have that opportunity. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 24 and 25 says, and let, us not, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I want you to think about this for just a second. Being together stirs up love and good works. Well, if I read it that way, does being away from each other limit love and good works? I think so. Because the more we're together, the more we get to help each other. The more we get to be encouraged by each other. When I walked in on Wednesday evening of last week, I come around the corner and I see a wheel of a walker. And I just barely saw it before it turned in here. And my first thought was, that's Debbie. But I didn't really get to see her real good because I was from a distance away. But if nobody else is going to have a walker with a wheel on it. And it was like the, the ability to get from that link. I don't know how to describe what my heart felt like as I was coming down there. Because I knew that Debbie was going to be waiting on the inside of the store. Love was stirred up in me right then. I was tickled to death. Mary's been sick all week. I texted Mary. I was sitting in the back. I took a picture of Tom. And, I'm sorry, Tom. I took a picture of you and Debbie from behind right there. They're sitting there. Tom's got his arm kind of around her a little bit. I sent it to Mary. I said, guess who's here? And Mary said, she responded back with something to the effect of, I am so Sad I couldn't be there. She was sick and she said, I wouldn't want to make anybody sick. If you were here, you got to experience that. When we assemble, we stir up love and good works. We have the ability to sort of plow through the difficulties of the rest of the week because everybody has something that they've got to do as the week goes along that's more challenging. But I had a lot more oomph and a lot more pep in my step on Thursday and Friday after seeing Debbie here on Wednesday night. How would you rate your assembly? Plus? Minus? Question. Five. Teach. I've written up here that teaching usually benefits the teacher, but well, it's through which we spread the word of God, that teaching usually benefits the teacher more than it does the student. I don't know if y'all gained anything from my lessons, but I, I feel like I gain a whole lot from them as we go through. 
Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 presented this. It said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those by who, re who by reason of use have their senses, senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I say that because teaching is important. Not the teacher, but teaching. Because if I wasn't up here, somebody else would be. And if somebody else wasn't here, then somebody else would be. But everyone can teach. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to be standing in front of a crowd. But we all can teach. We teach not just by words, but we teach by actions as well. Our responsibility is to teach and preach. The Hebrew writer says, by this point, you ought to have been up there teaching. I'm paraphrasing right there. But instead, you've not gained anything. You've not improved anything. Do you notice that the word exercise was in there? We talked about that at the beginning. In order for us to be better at this, we have to exercise. We have to train. Hebrew writer said in chapter 5, verse 14, that you've not been exercised. You could have been teaching. In practice. Well, just like any of these things, if we don't teach, if we don't give, if we don't assemble, if we don't sing, if we don't fast, if we don't meditate, if we don't pray, we're not going to grow. The doctor would fuss at you if you said, I never exercise. But he'd also say, there's still time to go out there and do it. But if you went to the doctor and said, I haven't exercised, and I will never exercise. That's where the disappointment would come. So can we tell God, I'm not ever going to improve? I'm not ever going to attempt to be better? We're not going to be perfect. If the doctor tells you to lose weight, you're not going to lose it all the first day you go home, but it's going to require work to get to that point. Our spiritual discipline is the same way. Each of these disciplines will help us to grow. So we talk about these throughout the next few months. It'll be once a month or so. We'll talk about each one. We're going to refer back to so much of what we talked about today. I hope you've got your paper. I'm not asking you to turn it in. In fact, I'm not asking you to show it to anybody. But maybe slide it into the first page of your Bible there. Fold it up and put it in your wallet or your purse or something like that. And think about, honestly, what is my grade in each of these disciplines? in each of these categories. What do you think Jesus' grade was on each of these? Probably pretty good. We are to strive to be Christ-like. Not to be Christ. We can't be Christ. 
But we ought to be able to try to improve each day on each of these. But it requires training. It requires discipline. And it will require us to make improvements as we go forward. Jesus showed us the way, and hopefully we have the roadmap to be able to follow. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, any way that we can help you, whatever the issue might be, we invite you to come while we stand in town.